listening to Connection Church's podcast. Brad was like, you know, there's this new church coming, and I'm I'm real excited. You know, it was one of my buddies growing up, the preacher now, and um, I just really want to get involved and. Um, I was nervous about it because I didn't understand exactly what the church was and all that, but um, we started we started going. And I mean, I remember just the first night thinking that something was different. So I heard about small group. I was like, that might be what I've been missing. You know, I've been I've I've never been able to be honest about where I was with God until I got to group. I immediately was like nervous. I didn't know what it meant, you know, and I'm I'm thinking like, I'm not, I'm not there. Like, I can't talk about my relationship. I don't even know if I'm saved. Like, I can't go to their house and talk about God. And um, we joined the group and I I was so hesitant and I was even a little bit upset with him because he didn't even ask me if I wanted to. It was just like, oh, we're doing it. In connect group, seeing other people pray, you know, that is, I've learned about the power of prayer. Group first started probably three or four weeks into it. Our leader asked us to uh, just pick that one person out. And I immediately, I had this one guy, man, and he's been one of my best buddies. And well, I've been consistent with that prayer. It's been, what, probably three, four months now. And then this past Sunday, altar call, you know, God came and saved him, man, and that is, he received the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you, my Holy Spirit was jumping up and down because I was excited. I'm telling you, man, that was awesome. You know, the first night, like, walking into small group, I was worried and I was nervous, and, you know, I didn't know anybody. I may have known one person other than Brad, and within, like, the first five minutes, I realized, like, this is not going to be like I thought. Like, I totally overanalyzed this. Um, it's it's not going to be bad, it's going to be great. You know, just talking to people, I felt like people really wanted to hear what I had to say instead of just like hanging out with me because they had to, because they knew Brad. I feel like people were finally getting to know me for the first time instead of just being somebody's wife or mom, you know. It's the first time that I was really honest. Being in Connect Group was the first time I was really honest with like, okay, here's where I am and I may be a little baby Christian but I am a Christian, you know, I, I can belong on the team even if I'm sitting on the bench, I'm still wearing the jersey, you know? If there's anybody out there that is hesitant or is considering, you know, joining a group, I would say do not hesitate. Dive in head first, eager to meet people, to learn, because I'm telling you, it's life changing. I honestly don't think I would have a relationship with God that I have now had it not been for my Connect group. Connection Statesboro, how we doing? Yeah, that's awesome, right? That's awesome. Well, my name is Billy Shiver. If you don't know me, I'm the pastor over at our uh, Vidalia campus, and man, I am excited to be here this morning. It is a full house, as you can see. Uh, just one quick announcement. If you have any room near you, uh, please help us out by scooting in so that we can see where to seat other people. And then also, as Justin talked about, we started a 6 p.m. service last week. So college students, I know y'all guys like to sleep in. 
um, we would love for you to uh, join us at our 6 p.m. service to kind of make some room for people um, to come to the 11. And so if you know the Lord and you're willing to sacrifice for other people to know him, come to 6 p.m., right? So anyway, I'm excited to be here, excited um, about what God's doing in Vidalia. Um, and so I don't know how many of you guys know, but all, over in January uh, of this year, we started up another campus uh, about 45 minutes from here, a little small town called Vidalia. Uh, we call it the OC, the Onion City, right? Yeah, that's good, right? Yeah, you can laugh. There we go. Um, no, so we call it the OC, but God's been doing some incredible things, as you can tell with Brad and Allison and their story. Um, and we've seen uh, 11 people get saved, which is incredible, right? Y'all can clap for that. Absolutely. Um, we've seen... 12 baptisms. We've seen over a hundred folks, uh, get involved in small groups and, uh, man, it is so exciting to watch God, uh, light people on fire for the gospel and go to a place where, um, people don't have the luxury of having a church where, um, man, it, it's alive when you walk in, there's people that love you. There's people that want you to be there. And so it's been incredible for me and a refreshing thing to be over there. And so if you guys ever get the chance, we'd love to have you uh, we, we just do one service on 11, but man, it's, it's incredible. So I'm excited to be here today. We're uh, continuing on in our series called every person has a purpose. Uh, and so Brandon's over in Vidalia, he's preaching, uh, week one over there and I'm switching and preaching one week three over here. So y'all be ready to give me back after this, but that's okay. I still love you. Um, and so no, today, uh, every person has a purpose. I love this series. I love, uh, just the title of it, man. It tells us so much about the church and Kind of our core concept that we want everybody to get from it is um, that the church is not about one person, right? It's not about Brandon or it's not about Chase or it's not about uh, whoever's speaking. It's about a group of people united together by the gospel, uh, using their gifts and abilities to push the kingdom forward. And so um, that's great news for, for you guys because God wants you to be a part of what the Lord's doing at Connection Church. And I know um, it's an exciting thing to be a part of what God's doing. And so we've been talking about uh, these healthy, the, the cultures of a healthy church, right? And so just a little insider information about our church is we, uh, we believe very firmly in four cultures um, that a healthy church uh, will exemplify. And those cultures are serving. Those cultures are generosity. Uh, those cultures are evangelism and those cultures are community. And so a little insider into that, um, when you love Christ, you naturally want to serve people, right? So we don't have to force people. When you love Jesus, the natural overflow of that is you like to serve. And so that's why we say it's a culture of a healthy church. Uh, when you love Jesus and pursuing Christ, you're naturally generous with people, right? And so um, when you love Jesus and, and you're pursuing Christ, you naturally want other people to know Jesus, right? And then lastly, and what I want to talk to you guys about today is when you love Christ and you're pursuing him, you want to be around other people that can push you forward and that can grow and you can uh, really disciple you and, and move forward in your relationship with Christ. And so if you got your Bible, I want you to open up today uh, to Acts chapter two. Uh, that's where we'll be. Uh, if you got your Bible, please open it. I'd love for you to follow along with me. Acts two, we'll be starting in verse 41. And as you guys turn there, let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll dive right in. So Father, we thank you uh, for today. God, I thank you for each and every person in this room. And uh, God, we're, we're thankful that we get to open your word. God, I pray that as we look into your word today, that we would remember it's not the words of man, it's your words to us. You love us. You want what's best for us. God, you want to do a work in our life if we'll allow you to do that, God. So I just pray this morning, as we dive into your word, you'd open our hearts to hear from you and our minds to hear from you. And you would uh, give us the courage, make us brave enough to take our next step 
and begin a growing relationship with you. And God, so we, we love you. We need you right now. Come be with us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I want to start off with a question. Um, I want to ask you this question. It's for everybody. So I want to get kind of personal with you this morning uh, and step on your toes a little bit. So uh, we've met each other. We're cool, right? We're friends. Here we go. So um, I want to ask you this question. What is the church supposed to be, right? So from your opinion, when you think about the church, what is it supposed to be, right? Are, are we getting it right? Are we doing church the right way, right? If that's even a way to talk about it, right? Is it supposed to be you come in on a Sunday service, you sing a couple songs, you look into the word of God and then you go and then you come. Or is it supposed to be a Sunday school or small groups or, uh, you know, is it supposed to be about what you wear or what you don't wear? Uh, what is church supposed to be or are we getting it right? And, and then the next thing I wanted you to, to think about is what's church been in your life? Right. Because I recognize there's a bunch of different people in here. Right. And so every person in here has had a different experience with church. Right. Some of you guys grew up in the church and you have a drug problem. Right. Every time the door was open, they drug you in. And every time it was closed, they drug you out. Right. So um, or, or some of you guys um, ha have never been to church and maybe this is your first time. Somebody's been inviting you or maybe some of you guys went to church when you were little, but you've kind of fallen away. And maybe some uh, church has always been about a Sunday service, right? I go on Sunday and then I come back the next Sunday and I do that. Some of you guys, uh, so there's tons of different types of people in here and, and I recognize that. And my goal for today is I want us to look into what is God, what is his intentions for the church? What is it supposed to be? And my promise for you this morning is that if you will let God dictate and you will let God um, really craft and, and, and define what the church is in your life, then I promise you it'll be a life-changing thing. And, and I learned that early on in ministry that everybody's church experience was not a good one, right? You ever been there? You know that? You talk to people. It's like, hey, you want to come to church? I hate the church, right? And it's like, all right, I'll go this way, right? And so, no, but I was in a Bible study with uh, my wife. She was going to school down at uh, MCG, and we were leading a small group with uh, some of her classmates. And we went around the room, and I just kind of was trying to get a feel for who they were and and I asked them, hey, uh, tell me about your church experience. Tell me about your relationship with God. And as they uh, continued to, to talk one by one, all 14 of them went around and said, uh, I went to church when I was little, but my parents got a divorce and they really kind of kicked us out of the church and, uh, or something like that would happen. And literally all, almost every one of them went around and said, um, I used to go to church, but something happened and now I don't go anymore. And so I recognize that. And I recognize that maybe some of you guys have had that experience with church, but I promise you, I promise you that my goal for today is I want you to erase all those memories, right? So you ever seen Men in Black where he does a little bing and it kind of shakes everybody out and you, you don't remember anything? That's kind of my hope for this morning. I want you to allow God to define what the church is. And I promise you, I promise you, if this will be personal to you and you allow God to define the church in your life, it will really be a life-changing thing. And so with the text, Acts chapter two, verse 41. So turn there if you're with me and I want you to do something, um, do something with me, kind of an interactive exercise here. So when you come to the book of Acts, basically the book of Acts is the story of the early church. And so what we see going on and what has happened so far is Jesus has already come. He's lived, he died on a cross, he resurrected. Um, he, he came back, he appeared to the disciples um, and uh, he told them to, hey, y'all go in this room and y'all wait, and I'm gonna send something for you, right? And he, he ascends back to heaven, checks out, they start praying, he sends the Holy Spirit, right? And in that moment, we call that church word Pentecost, right? So where the Holy Spirit comes to indwell all believers. And what happened after that time is, is just kind of very right when it happened, 
Peter stood up, right? Peter was uh, one of the disciples. He stood up and preached a message, right? And so he preached a message. And when he finished preaching the message, that's where we pick up in verse 41. And so the exercise that I want you to do is every time you see a word or a characteristic that describes their church, that describes what was going on with them, I want you to underline it, right? I'm going to grade you now, so I need you following along with me, right? And so, so what happens is verse 41, read it with me. It says this, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So take a second. That's, that's awesome, right? You talk about a logistical nightmare, right? For our prayer team, they would go absolutely berserk at 3,000 people. But picture yourself, you're at a church service, somebody's sharing the gospel, and uh, I'm sitting up here teaching, and I say, hey, if anybody wants to get saved, you guys come forward. And everybody in this room comes forward. There's 3,000 more people, or 2,000 more people in the auditorium, or in the atrium that come forward. Can you imagine being a part of that? How incredible is that? And the thing I love about this is Acts 2, 42 through 47 they say, right when that happened, when these 3,000 people got saved, here's what their relationships looked like. Here's what they were doing. And that's why we say this is the best definition of the church in the Bible is because it gives us a picture of what they were doing. And I want you to remember one thing. Peter did not say, hey, anybody that wants to get saved, come forward. All right, let's sit down in a room. Here's the things that you guys need to do. You need to be devoted to this. You need to be devoted to this. You need to come to church. You need to give. You need to do all these things. Check, check, check. Look what happened. It, it just, this is Luke observing what was going on. He says this, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, right? So the natural overflow of that salvation was a devotion to these things. So if you're following along, here's your first grade. Did you underline devoted, right? If you did that, you're on page with me. If not, then um, I'm sorry. Verse 43 says this, Everyone was filled with awe, right? You got a pen, that's a good one to underline. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, right? Many wonders and signs. All the believers were together, right? That's a great word. And had everything in common. Phenomenal. 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Hold on, hold on now. So you're telling me they sold their personal belongings to give to other people in the church that had need. Yep, that's what it says. So check, underline. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Amen, right? There we go. So they were eating together. They spent a lot of time together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look what the Lord did. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is crazy. And so here's my question for you. All right, you got your announcement card. You got your pen and pad. If I asked every person in this room, get personal, to write down five characteristics that explain your church experience, would it look anything like this? And I, I was reading that and I was like, would it look anything like this? And no. And so my question now that I followed that up with is, why is the church so much different today than it was back then, right? Because here's one truth. The Holy Spirit hadn't changed, right? The Bible says God's the same today, tomorrow, and yesterday, right? So the same Holy Spirit is in all the believers today. So what has happened? The context obviously has changed a little bit. We're not in, you know, 65 AD in Jerusalem, right? We're in 2015 in, in Statesboro. So maybe, you know, the context has changed, but the Spirit's the same. How can church how has church become so much different? And I started thinking about that. And 
I'll tell you why it's become so different is because what we've done is basically we've shaped church around what we want it to be, right? So basically we've taken the church and really just kind of molded it into our preferences, what feels good to us, right? And so what happened, and I believe this is the biggest reason, is that we've made church more about an event to attend on a Sunday than we have about a family of people to belong to or a community of people to belong to. And so what I want us to look at today is how, how do we change that, right? Because, man, maybe you're in here and, and church, that's pretty much what it is for you, right? You come in on Sunday and you, uh, you know, kind of do your thing. Worship's great, right? You uh, hear a great sermon, then you go out and then you come back the next Sunday. And But here's the thing, that doesn't match what God is looking at. And so what I want us to do today is I really want us to kind of look and observe some of the things that were going on in that church. And I want us to kind of examine our lives. Like how can we begin to walk in personally what God intends for the church? And, and so my question for the whole, just umbrella question for the whole sermon is what is church to you and how can you begin to transform it into what God wants it? Because the that's really the only place where it's going to become a life-transforming thing. So let's start. Here we go. Verse 41. What does he say? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Listen to what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the first thing I see, you can write this down, number one, salvation transformed these people's lives. I mean, it transforms their lives, but don't stop there and their agendas, right? Because that's a huge deal, right? It's one thing to transform your life, but you know, we kind of separate our agenda and what we're going to be about and, and, and our lives, right? But what happened is what we see is when something happened, there's a correlation between those who accepted his message, those people that, that, that heard the gospel, they heard the message that Peter was preaching, that Jesus had come, the savior of the world had come and he had lived the perfect life and that they had killed him. They put him on a cross. The very person that was the only person that could reconcile them back to the relationship with God that they were created to be in, they put him on a cross and they killed him. And he preached that message and the Bible says that it cut them to the heart. And they said, oh my, what do we do? Like, what, what do I do? What do I need to do? And, and Peter says, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and you'll receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and he tells them that. And, and so what happens is when they heard that message, there's some kind of correlation that between that, them accepting that message, it overflowed in a devotion to the things of God. Does that make sense? And so here's, here's my issue. Hands down, I've been in ministry for five or six years, um, so I, I don't know a lot, but here's the one thing I would say that, that I've learned. The number one thing missing in the church today, and this is kind of an oxymoron statement, I know, but it, it's the truth. The number one thing that I see missing in the church today, speaking of church services, is genuine salvation. That's the number one thing I see that's missing in churches today is, is that we've turned salvation into, I was confirmed when I was six, or I prayed a prayer when I was nine, and I, I did these things, I attend church, or I read my Bible, or I do these things, and we've taken the power out of salvation. Because listen, when they accepted the word, the message of the gospel, and were baptized, it naturally overflowed in a devotion to these things. So it led me to start asking questions. How can we genuinely know Christ and not be devoted to the things that Christ was devoted to? Is that possible? 
And when you start looking in scripture, and I, I mean, I'd love to sit down one-on-one and have this conversation. There's not a lot of places. Actually, I would tell you there's no places in scripture where we look at people who are believed. I'm not saying they're perfect, but what I'm saying is that where they weren't devoted to the things of God. And so the thing that we have to see is that the overflow of salvation naturally flowed into a devotion to these things that we see. And so from here on out, I really just want to kind of look at these things that were important to them and really examine, are they important to us? And, and I, I love, man, I love this text because it changes our have-tos into get-tos. Anybody with me? So it changes, man, I have to go to church. And it turns it into, man, I can't wait to go to church. I have to read my Bible. It turns it into, man, I get to open the word of God this morning and hear from him, right? It's, man, I got to go to, they said small group, they said it's life-changing. I'm supposed to go to it tonight. The food's pretty good, so I'll go, right? And it turns it from, I have to go to small group to, man, I cannot wait to small group. It's the type of impact you see with Brad and Allison on the video. And so it turns those things. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, and we just got to be honest with ourselves. Do I have a genuine desire for the things of God? And if I don't, we need to go back and revisit whether I've actually received the Holy Spirit in us. And so number two is this. Let's just make some observations. The first thing that we see about these people is that um, God's word was important to them. So number two is God's word was important to them. These people, man, they devoured the word of God. The word of God was central, man. This book meant so much to them. They wanted to hear from it. They wanted to turn it. And the thing that I've learned about following Christ is most people that follow Christ become natural learners, right? Because when I, before I came to know the Lord and wanted to follow him, I could care less about this book. I had probably six copies at my house, never opened one, really wasn't interested in it. But what happened is, and Peter talks about this in his book, he says that salvation is, is kind of like a newborn baby. Right. So he says when when salvation happens, if you have tasted of salvation, he says you become like a newborn infant that longs for pure spiritual milk. What does that mean? Right. How many of you guys have kids in here, small kids or have had small kids? Anybody? All right. So think about it like this. When you when they don't have their bottle, what do they do? They're not happy. Right. I mean, you ever been I mean, college kids, you ever been babysitting a kid that don't have a bottle and the parents didn't leave you a bottle? It's like, are you serious? Right. These kids holler their head off. Right. And so but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when we get saved, that's what we become like, like that newborn baby wants that milk. We want to know God. Right. And so I got a video that, that, that kind of dives into why the word of God was so important to them. So so watch it with me real quick. That reality blows me away every time I stop to think about it. Pages and pages of God, his thoughts, his words, his heart, right there, just a few inches away. I can carry it with me everywhere I go, read it whenever I want. When we open the Bible, what do we see? We see God himself in this book. We meet him here or we don't meet him, not with any hope of friendship. Reading the Bible 
is one of the most important things we can ever do. It's more valuable than anything we own, sweeter than anything we have ever eaten. It is literally more important than breathing. But that's not always what we see and feel when we open our Bible. Our weak, tired, distracted eyes look and all we see is a lifeless, boring portrait on the wall. But it's not a portrait. It's a window. It doesn't hang lifeless in an old frame on the wall. It breaks through the wall into another world, the real world, the lasting world, the better world. And through this window shines a divine light that changes everything around us. We all know that the road to knowing God is not easy. Discipline and resolve are important, but they can carry you only so far. A few days, a week, maybe a month. For the long run, we need something stronger more compelling than discipline and resolve. There are too many traps along the path, too many hurdles. At the root, the reason we don't read the Bible is that we don't want to read the Bible. We don't see joy, peace, and life when we see that leather binding on our shelf. We see a wall, not a window boring portrait, not the never-ending beauty beyond. So we put it off, leave it shut, and move on. We stay in bed, and we miss the miracle. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, loves to speak light into hearts and minds. God wrote a book, and with his book, these words in front of us, he wakens our dead, bored souls. He frees us from bondage to sin, from desires that rob us of life. He comforts the depressed, inspires the discouraged, guides the confused, he empowers us to make our lives count for His cause in the world. He satisfies us completely and forever with words, His words. So will I read my Bible tomorrow? Where else would I go? How else will I know Him? How else will I prepare myself to enjoy him forever? Yes, I'll spend the rest of my life looking out of this window, watching, waiting for another sight of him, another miracle, another glimpse of my God. So one thing we see is that 
when knowing God becomes important to us, his word becomes important to us. And, and I, I found that, I don't just say that to be up here saying, man, I think you need to read this or know this, but here's the thing, I've, when, when God began to transform my life, I wanted to know about him. I mean, it, it's, when, when my view of this Bible changed from just a book to this was God's word to me, this was God's word written to show me why, I was, why I'm here, who I am, what the purpose of my life is, what marriage is about, what, what my mission on this earth is. It changed everything, man. I began to want to read this. And, and here's the thing. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I literally had absolutely no clue how to read the Bible. I didn't have anybody sit down with me and talk to me about it. You know, we have the luxury of that here at this church because of that. And so, but here's the thing. I joined a small group. And I got into a small group with a group of people who had the same desire that I had. They wanted to learn what this book said. They wanted to know what God's purpose for their life was. They wanted to know who God was. And guess what we did? We figured it out together and we started reading it. And they were like, well, it says this here, it says that. And, and guess what? It began to teach me about God's word. And so the, the first observation is, man, God's word was important to them. Is God's word important to you? Is it something you get to do or is it something that every morning you get up and you have to do it? The, the third thing I see is that they were a family. Look at verse 42. It says this, they were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Listen to this. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Does that sound like a Sunday service? Like, look to the person to the right and left of you. Have you ever ate with that person? Outside of your friends, obviously. No, like, man, in a, in a room this size, like, there's no way we can do that with every person, right? But here's the thing you see, they were more than just attending a service together. They were a family, man. They, they did things together. They sacrificed for one another. They ate together. They spent a lot of time together. And, and how many of you guys would know this? Families don't give up on each other. You ever notice that? Man, I, I grew up in a great family and I'm so thankful for that. Maybe you, you, you didn't grow up in a great family, but think about maybe uh, your best friend and how faithful they've been to you. And, and here's the thing I would tell you is that's God's intention for the church is God wants the church to be a family, a brotherly love. How many times do you see that throughout scripture? And what happens is families not only, here, here's what they don't do. They don't give up on each other after one mistake, right? So they don't say, oh, you're not perfect. Get out. They don't say that, right? And, and so, so many churches are expecting people to come in perfect. Or so many people that are in the church expect messy, sinful people to come in and be perfect, right? But that's not what families do, right? How many times have you been sitting at the table and your little brother, sister, or niece, or nephew comes in and, and they, man, Scooby-Doo is just blowing their mind, right? They love Scooby-Doo. I love Scooby-Doo. They love Scooby-Doo. We both love Scooby-Doo. So we're sitting at the table and my little... Uh, nephew sitting there talking about Scooby-Doo. How many times have I heard my dad sit there and say, son, we don't talk about Scooby-Doo at this table. You can get up and leave and you'll never eat with us again. Right? How many times have you seen that? Right? And so, but here's the thing in the church, that's what we are. We're a family that loves one another. We encourage each other. We don't give up on each other. We help each other. 
right? Because here's the thing. We're all, we have this in common. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short. Look to your right. Look to your left. I don't care how good they look. I don't care how pressed and ironed their shirts are. They've messed up before. They have sin in their life that they're struggling with right now, right? Whether they want to admit it or not. And here's the thing. When you get into a connect group, you're free to admit that. And then as soon as you admit that, that's the first step to God beginning to transform your life. And families challenge one another. An interesting thing about this word, it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. So fellowship, if you grew up anything like me, you're, you're probably used to a fellowship hall, right? So the first thing that comes to mind is fried chicken and we're about to eat, right? So that was my thought when I thought about fellowship in the Bible was, man, I'm ready to eat. That makes me hungry. I can smell it, right? And so, but here's the thing in the Bible, the word fellowship means partnership, right? And so when it says they devoted themselves to fellowship, it means that their lives clicked. Their lives had commonality. Their lives were together. The, the fellowship assumes common purpose, right? And so the picture of devoting yourself to the church is you got one person over here who comes to know the Lord and he wants to know God and he wants to live out the mission of God of making disciples and grow and he wants to honor the Lord and what he's doing. You got another guy over here that, that, that wants to do the same thing. He's had an experience with God. He recognizes that he's here to know God and to, to, to begin to walk in his purposes. Guess what doesn't matter in that? Color, social and economic stat, none of that stuff matters. How much money you got, how much money you don't have, where you're from, who you grew up with, what you've done, who you've done it with. That stuff don't matter because guess what? We've been made new in Christ. Now we can lock arm in arms and we can begin to figure this thing out together. That's what fellowship is. And that is what God wants for us. And, and so here's the thing I'd tell you. There's a, a ton of different people in this room right now. There's, there's people that are going through tons of different things. There's people in this room that it hasn't been long that they got a phone call that was the worst nightmare in their life. The thing that they never thought would happen to them has happened to them. You know what people need in that situation? They need a family around them. They need a group of people that can have faith when they can't have faith. There's people in this room that you figured out that you've lost your job or you figured out that the very thing that you want to do and felt like the Lord wanted you to do, it didn't play out the way that you thought it would. You know what you need in that situation? You don't need a church service, right? You don't need me to hoorah motivational speech to you. You need a group of people that are going to cry with you. You need a group of people that are going to walk out the gospel with you to remind you that you're not here for a job. You're here to know God and do what he wants you to do. Maybe you're, you're a group of people, or maybe this is you. You've, you've struggled with um, an addiction for a while, and you've, you're, you've been clean for five, six months, 12 months, and you're having these thoughts like you want to go back. Like, man, this isn't what I thought it would be. I, I want to go back to those things. You know what you need in that situation? You need somebody who's been there and who can say, dude, it's not worth it. I had to walk through the same thing. Say you're a college student. You come to Statesboro, Georgia, Georgia Southern University, Gatta, right? 25,000 students. You're pumped up. You're on campus. You encounter things that you shouldn't be encountering, right? Temptations are everywhere, right? And you come into these temptations and you don't know what to do. You know what you need? You need somebody to sit beside you and say, dude, listen, I, I tried that. It didn't work. It's not what it promises. I promise. That's what community is. That's what fellowship is. That's why you need of the church to be a family, right? Because you don't get that on Sunday morning. You barely talk to the people around you. But if you'll get around some folks that are pursuing the same things that you're pursuing, God will begin to transform your life in a way you could never imagine. And I promise you, I tell them in Vidalia all the time, 
There's only one prerequisite to God transforming your life. You know what that is? Honesty. If you'll be honest about where you're at, and you'll be honest about where you're at with other people who know the Lord, you'll begin to tra- you'll be- God will begin to transform your life because they'll begin to walk along beside you and they'll begin to show you. And, and they're screwed up too, right? So it's, it's us in here together and we're walking this thing out. And so, man, maybe you're here today and you're here for a reason. You just got to college, right? And you're here today to hear that you need to be in a small group. You need to be around some people that can, can show you what it looks like to pursue God with the temptations that you're about to face. Maybe you're in here and you're a couple. You've been attending our church for months, right? And, and you're like, man, it's a great church. The services are awesome, but it's hard to connect, right? You need to join a small group. You need to be a part of what the church is about because here's the thing. If we will align church to be what God wants it to be instead of allowing our preferences to define what it is, man, it'll be a life-transforming thing. I promise you. I promise you that. The fourth thing we see is that they were devoted to the gospel. How do I know that? It says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread in scripture is usually a reference towards the Lord's Supper. And and we're going to take the Lord's Supper um, at the end of this service. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. But here's the thing that that you need to know about the Lord's Supper is is Jesus told his disciples before he died, he said, "I, I want you to do this in remembrance of me until I come back, right? Until he comes back to get us. And, and why would he tell us that, right? Why would, why would he say, hey, you need to do this. You need to take communion, right? And so, so many times we just roll through it and not know what it stands for. But here's the thing. God told us that we need to, 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 to take, partake in the Lord's Supper so that we could remember how much we need him, right? Because every time you take the Lord's Supper, it's a constant reminder of how much you need Christ and what he's done for you on the cross. And so here's the thing I've figured out. It doesn't take long in a relationship with God to get to the point where you think you got it figured out. Anybody ever been there, right? You just set yourself up to fall. I know I've been there. I'll be honest with you, right? So I've been to a point where I felt like I could do it alone, man. I'd kind of conquered some of the sins that I thought held me back. And, you know, I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was in the church and, you know, and I, and I started, man, pulling my bootstraps up and saying, man, I can do this thing. Like I'm getting better, right? And, and what happens is, you know, you ever heard the scripture, pride comes before the fall? It's exactly what happens, man. But what it means for them to be devoted to the breaking of bread is that they recognized a few things. They recognized how much they needed Christ. And this is the thing that draws us together. This is why it's such a beautiful thing, right? The church is a beautiful thing when it's done the way God wants it to be because guess what we admit when it's done the way the Lord wants it to be? We are all sinners, right? We all need Christ. There's every person in this room needs the righteousness that only Christ can give because on our own, guess what we've done? We have fallen short. And I mean, just, just if you even just say that out loud, it just takes this huge weight off your shoulders. Well, what happens is when you get into a church and you get into a group of people that, that know that, man, it begins to be the coolest thing in the world because you begin to lock arm in arm and say, man, I messed up. I'm struggling with this. I messed up and I'm trying to work this out. Hey man, some of my friends have came to know the Lord. Dude, I want some of my friends to know the Lord. What are you doing? You know, and you, you get in there beside one another and you begin to live out what God wants you to be. And there's one prerequisite. What's the prerequisite? Honesty, right? And guess what? Satan wants us to get busy in our lives, right? A lot of us, we, we, we've coming in and out of this room and we come every Sunday. Maybe it's our first Sunday. Glad you're here. But here's the thing. Busyness begins to cloud our view of what's really going on in our life because we can't think about anything. All we think about is I gotta get up, gotta go to class, gotta go home, 
got to do this, got a party I got to go to, come home, do this, got to get up, get the kids ready, go to work, do this thing. And so we begin to get in this routine where we don't have to be honest with ourselves. But I promise you, if you will be honest about where you are and you'll be honest about where you are with other people, God will begin to transform your life. And he does that through a connect group. The last thing I see, number five, is that they understood the power of prayer. If you've read the book of Acts at all, man, what God does in the church in the amount of time that the book of Acts tracks is absolutely incredible. And, and every time something happens, every time somebody gets saved, every time somebody's about to preach, every time somebody gets beat, every, every time somebody goes to prison or is persecuted, guess what they do? They pray. Why do they pray? Why, why is prayer almost an afterthought sometimes in our life? Maybe it's because we don't know how, but here, here's what I'd tell you. The reason they prayed so much is because they recognized a few things. The first thing they recognized is that God's in control, right? They recognized that God's in control. The second thing they recognized is that they were a child of God, right? God says, man, when you come to know Jesus, when you repent and put your faith in him, you become a child of God. You know what that means? We get to talk to him. We get access to him. We get to ask him for things and he listens to us. Think about it. Dads that are in the room right now, man, you listen when your son talks sometimes, right? You listen to what they say to you. And the last thing is they knew that they were inadequate to accomplish whatever God was asking them to accomplish on their own, right? And so here's the thing I've learned in my life. Prayer for me is not a discipline problem. Prayer for me is a dependence problem, right? So it's not me pulling up my boots and saying, all right, I got to pray this morning. Let me leave my shoes right beside my bed so I know as soon as I get off, I got to get on my knees, put my shoes on, and I'll pray, right? No, here's the thing that happened. When I recognize that I can't change the hearts of my friends that I want to know the Lord, guess what I do? Pray for them, right? When somebody makes me mad, I'm becoming impatient with them, or, or they don't seem to do the things that I want them to do all the time. You know what I do? I pray. When I come to church and I don't want to serve, you know what I do? pray that God would put service in my heart. You know what he does? He answers. And so my question for you is, is, are you dependent on God? Because that's what they were. They were dependent on the Lord. And you know how we learn how to do that is we, we watch other people that are dependent on God. That's why I'm so blessed to grow up in Connection Church and get to watch Brandon do what he does. Man, if, if I wouldn't have had his example to look to about how to pastor, how to have conversations, how to do these things, I would be terrible, man. My church would be awful, you know? And But man, I had that. And, and some of you guys, that's what God has you here this morning for. You need to do that. And so I'll, I'll close with this. What's the church look like in your life? What's it been? Not, not what's your past experience, but what's it look like today? Is it a Sunday service that you're just attending and coming to? Or is it what we see in scripture? Is it a group of people, a community of people locked arm in arm that are figuring out this thing and obedience and, and, and what the Lord wants from us and how to live out making disciples and how to read scripture together. Is that what it is? Because here's the thing I can tell you. If you will begin to shape your life around what God says the church is, instead of creating your own view and preference of what the church should be, I promise you God will do an absolute work in your life. And, and, and so here's the thing I would say. I, I'm, I just go back to this every time. But what it takes is us to be honest. We don't like to be honest with ourselves. So we have to be honest and say, this is what the church has grown to in my life. Some of you guys have, you've been coming here. Maybe you've been coming here for a long time. You've been here since it started, but you've drifted away from small groups. 
You've drifted away from your connect group. Maybe you used to leave one and you don't anymore. And you're not walking in community. I can tell you this one thing, and I read a quote this week, and it was absolutely incredible. And it says this, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive the power of sin over him. Listen to that again, put your name into it. Sin demands to have Billy by himself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated I become, the more destructive the power of sin becomes over me. That's true, that's so true. You need people alongside of you. Maybe, maybe you're in here and you say, Billy, I got no desire to do that, man. I, church has always just been about coming to a Sunday service for me. I, I don't even know, like Allison said, I don't, I don't even know if I'm saved, right? Here's the thing, I just want you to be honest about where you're at. Because you know what? God is, God is knocking on the door of your heart right now. That's the reason you're here. And he says, I want a relationship with you. And maybe you're here today for that purpose. And so maybe that's you today. You say, Billy, I want that relationship with God. It's always been about going to church for me. It's always been about a Sunday service, but I want these things to overflow out of my life. I wanna have a desire to know God. I want to move forward in my relationship with the Lord. Is that anybody in here today? I wanna know, I want you to say, Billy, that's me. I I need a relationship with God. I don't have it. I, I know I've been running from it for a long time, but today's the day. Man, I want to know God. Is that anybody in here? I want you to raise your hand. Let me see. I want to celebrate with you. Is that anybody here today? You say, I want a relationship with God, Billy. I need a relationship with Christ. Anybody else? Anybody else? I can't see a thing, so y'all can just clap and see something. Anybody else, you say, today's the day, man. I want a relationship with God. Billy, I, I want that. Okay. Somebody's gonna come and grab you and, and pray. But for the rest of us, here, here's what I want us to focus right here. I want you to think about this. God wants you to be a part of community. And, and if you're not in community, you won't make it as a Christian. Life is hard. It doesn't take long to live to know that life is hard. We need people. We need family. We need folks that can come around us and push us toward the gospel, push us toward um, push us toward the ways of God. And we need to learn how to do that. And so today, if that's you, I challenge you to make that next step. And so right now, what we're gonna do, we're about out of time, but we gotta do this. So um, is we're gonna take communion. And the thing I love about communion is that it forces us to be honest with ourselves. And the Bible says that Jesus had his disciples in a room and he, he took a piece of bread and he took a glass of wine and he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he said, this is, this is my blood spilt on the cross for you. And every time we take this, we remember our need for Christ because that's the thing that unites us. We don't have it figured out. We're all messed up, we're all sinful, but we have a savior that came to us and he saved us. And that's what unites us as the church. So I want you to take a couple seconds minute and I want you to just spend some time with God right now you and him slow down busyness don't think about your kids don't think about anything I want you to think about you and God be honest I want you to tell him how much you need him and then I'll I'll call you forward to take communion after that just take a second
your section, you should see two folks there. Um, the way we're going to do this is you just come up to them and uh, grab a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and you, and you take communion that way. But as you do this, the way I want you to think about it is I want you to remember what it stands for. Don't just do it. The Bible says if, if, if you're not a believer and you don't have faith in Christ, don't take communion. He says it's drinking wrath upon yourself. That's the last thing we want for you. The thing we want is if you know that you need Jesus and you've been honest with yourself and you have a relationship with him, we want you to come. We want you to take communion and, and remember what Christ has done for us. So this time you guys can come.